0: Welcome to the Theology and Practice podcast, a podcast that takes theology and applies it to the everyday life. I'm your host, Anthony Kidd, and I want to thank you for joining me in this week's discussion. Welcome back as we begin our journey into the signs of Jesus, starting in chapter 2. This week we're going to be looking at the first sign, which is Jesus turning water into wine from John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. The big idea is that Jesus begins His earthly ministry with a miracle. These signs serve to show the power of Jesus. By turning water into wine, Jesus shows us that He has come to bring the fullness of joy for those who would believe in His name. The main body of the Gospel of John can be broken down into two sections. The first section includes chapters 2 through 12 and is called the Book of Signs. The second section includes chapters 13 through 20 and is called the Book of Glory. The Book of Signs reveals the glory of Jesus through his miracles. The Book of Glory shows Jesus receives the glory through his death, resurrection, and ascension. The Book of Signs contains seven recorded miracles that are chosen to show Christ's power over creation. Here are the seven signs that John writes about. Number one, Jesus turning water into wine. That's chapter two, verses one through 12. Number two, Jesus healing the official's son. That's chapter four, verses 46 through 54. Number three, Jesus healing the invalid. That's chapter five, verses one through 15. Number four is Jesus feeding the multitude. That's chapter six, verses five through 13. Number five is Jesus walking on water. That's chapter 6, verses 16 through 21. And I'll make a note here that this is the only sign or miracle that John does not explicitly state is a sign or a miracle. Number six was Jesus healing the man born blind, and that's in chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And then the seventh sign is the raising of Lazarus in chapter 11, verses 1 through 44. Now, each one of these miracles serves to show that Jesus has power over a specific part of creation. Water into wine shows purity and joy. The healing of the official son shows sickness. The healing of the invalid shows physical infirmity. The feeding of the multitude shows his power over hunger and his provision. The walking on water shows his power over nature. The healing of the man born blind shows his power over sight and hereditary problems. And then the final one, the raising of Lazarus, shows Jesus' power even over death. The power of Jesus is on display through these miracles. As John begins this story, we learn that Jesus and his disciples have been invited to a wedding. This could have meant that he was a relative or a close friend of Jesus and his family. We also see that Mary is possibly involved with the wedding because of her interest in helping out the bridegroom. Needless to say, Jesus was not an antisocial killjoy. In this time, weddings could last up to a week, It was also the duty of the groom to provide both food and drink for the entirety of the feast. Running out of something was considered an insult and could have even led to a lawsuit. This may be why Mary felt the need to involve Jesus. If this was a family member or a close friend, she would want to avoid any issues that would arise as a result of running out of provisions. One noticeable character who is missing is Joseph. It is possible that Joseph has already died at this point. Just one more reason for Mary to have sought the help of Jesus. Jesus responds to Mary with what seems like a sharp rebuke when he says, Woman, what does this have to do with me? In our 21st century context, the word woman seems like a derogatory statement. However, in this context, it is essentially a term of endearment. This is the same word used by Jesus when he addresses Mary from the cross. The NIV translates this word, dear woman, because of this context. The next phrase is literally translated, what me and you. This is an idiom that is understood, what do we have in common? In our current language, it would be the equivalent of saying, why is this my problem? Even though Jesus is gentle, this is still a type of rebuke. It is interesting because it appears that Mary is coming to Jesus simply to fulfill a physical need and nothing else. She wants to save the wedding from possible destruction. That is why Jesus rebukes her. As Christians, we must be quick to remember that the only way we can come to Jesus is as a sinner in need of grace. One commentator says it like this, If he, talking about Jesus, responded to what men desired from him, he would have filled bellies, healed diseases, and overthrown Rome, and then all humanity would have died and gone to hell. Our first and foremost need is that we are a broken and depraved people in need of a Savior. Jesus tells Mary that his hour has not yet come. This is interesting because it shows that Jesus understands that his entire mission supersedes even his family bond. Jesus is singularly focused on his mission as assigned by the Father and intends to fulfill it. Mary then has an interesting response to the rebuke of Jesus. She tells the servants, do whatever he tells you. This response shows the faith of Mary. While her first question drew rebuke, the second response prompts Jesus to fulfill Mary's request. When Mary approached Jesus as a mother asking for assistance, she drew rebuke. But when she approached him with faith, that faith is honored. Without knowing what Jesus' response would be, she committed the matter to him. Jesus gives instructions to the servants and they follow his instructions. This is where the miracle happens. The stone jars that were filled were purification jars. Each jar held 20 to 30 gallons of water. This means that Jesus made somewhere between 120 and 180 gallons of wine. This serves to show the abundance of God in His provision. In our American context, we sometimes get so focused on what our friends and neighbors have that we miss the abundance of what God has providentially provided for us. God will supply all of our needs. You can see this in the book of 1 Peter as well. Even when we suffer, we suffer for the glory of God. Not only did Jesus make a lot of wine, but he made good wine. When the servants took the wine to the master of the feast, he felt obliged to go to the groom and commend him for saving the best wine until last. Because of the length of a wedding, families would typically save the subpar wine after everyone had had their senses dulled by the good wine. This also tells us that the wine Jesus made contained alcohol. If the master of the feast was impressed by this new wine, then it must have been the good stuff. This was not grape juice. This was fully fermented wine. Again, we see God's provision. But we also see the promise of the new covenant that will be purchased by the blood of Jesus. The salvation purchased by Jesus on the cross will be a pure and perfect salvation because it was attained by a pure and perfect Savior. Just like Jesus transformed Peter, He has the power to transform all those who believe in His name. The power of Jesus to transform water into wine is amazing, but His power to transform people's lives is even more amazing. This is just the first of the recorded signs, but we can already begin to see where John is going to take us. I want to thank you for joining me for Theology in Practice. Our prayer is that God's Word would penetrate into your heart and continue you on your journey of sanctification as you seek to be more like Christ.